continuing our psalm, the series, with chapter 19. I really like this chapter, so we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. It begins with verse number 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It ri its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Sure, we've all heard this one. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I don't know if you noticed today or not, but God is all around. I don't know if we realize that every day, but God is all around us. He's in the blue sky. He's in the clouds that fill that sky. He's in the beauty of the sunset and the sunrise. He's evident in the beautiful night sky and the brightness of the moon the stars that are spread out in the galaxy. He's even evident if you look at pictures from the Hubble telescope of his vast galaxies in space. He's evident, as Pastor Jan pointed out just a minute ago, like the song says, he's evident in the cry and the laughter of children. He is evident all around us in every aspect of his creation. In fact, the God who created all of this is evident here with us today, His glory on display for all to see. And so this is what David tells us. This is what the heavens tell in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show His handiwork. The stars are God's fingerprint. The sun is a reflection of His radiance. The moon reminds us that He does not sleep or slumber. The vastness of space proclaims the infinity of his wisdom while the sands on the beach point to his thoughtfulness even down to the smallest detail. The lion hints at his fearlessness, the bear at his power, the hawk in the sky at his keen insight. Every tree grows and points toward heaven. Every bird has a song to sing. Even every moment of wind goes in some direction that is commanded by God. In fact, there is nothing chaotic about our beautifully designed world. All creation has a message to tell. It says, listen, look, there is a God. I remember driving across Texas for the first time. You see, I'm from North Carolina, and we have palm trees 
everywhere. I mean, pine trees everywhere. They're like 40, 50 feet tall, right? And so you can't go anywhere without looking at trees. And so I remember the first time driving across Texas from, we were driving from Tennessee all the way to Midland and vast Texas skies. In fact, I mean, there is absolutely nothing. I mean, it's just wide open. And so you get to see the sky, I believe, in the way that God intended it to be seen. We can see God in this beautiful Texas sunset or sunrise. In fact, we can look out these windows at a certain time in the morning or a certain time at night, and you just see this beautiful masterpiece that God created across the sky, and the sun just seems to hang in just the right spot where its colors radiate across the sky and and then they reflect over the pond, and you just can tell that God is real. Or the way that you see the sea and the sky merge seamlessly on the horizons when you're at the beach. God's creation is amazing. And the Bible tells us that he can be found in it. Verse 2 says, Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. The day and the night speak to us. They reveal the knowledge of the glory, of the wisdom, of the creativity and the greatness of our God. The Hebrew text here uses a word for utters that mean that means that God's creation is literally a gushing spring that continuously pours forth the sweet refreshing waters of the revelation of God's glory. Continuously, day after day, night after night, his creation speaks forth his praise. And all of creation will never cease to declare and proclaim his goodness, his majesty, and glory. They will forever proclaim his message like an unbroken chain, day after day and night after night. Isn't God good? There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The Bible says that the glory of God in heaven is visible for all to see. God's glory is revealed across every language, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. His message is revealed throughout all of the earth, simply through His creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that everyone is without excuse the glory of God is present and evident in his creation all men are without without excuse for rejecting God who has given us such clear and beautiful evidence of not only his power but of his wisdom verse 4 goes on to say in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from God's presence. Just as the sun covers the entire expanse of the sky and its strength and heat extends everywhere, so is the presence of God declared in the heavens. In fact, there is no place that we can go that, it, that the presence of God is not there. There's nowhere that we can go where His grace and His mercy and His goodness and holiness are not present. Psalms 130, 139 and verse 7 tells us, Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me, because indeed the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. There is nowhere that we can go to flee from the presence of our good God. And so we see here in verses 1 through 6, we see that God's majesty is revealed in all of his creation to his creation. God's majesty is revealed in the skies to us, to you and to I. In verse 7, David shifts from praising God who reveals himself in creation to praising God who reveals himself in his word. You see, I believe that creation tells us a lot about God, but his word tells us even more. So David moves from the general revelation of God in creation to the specific revelation of God in his written word. And so David tells us that his word teaches us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In the Hebrew text, even the way that David calls out to God changes, beginning in verse 7. So in the first six verses, David uses the Hebrew name for God of El, E-L. And that points to a general revelation of God. In fact, we talked about a few weeks ago, this is a general name for God that encompasses a lot of things. And in verse 7, he changes to the way that he calls out to God. He calls out to, the, to God with the name of Yahweh, which speaks of his great covenant love and his faithfulness to us. And when David speaks of the law here, he's referring to the written revelation of God, the teachings of God that are found in the scriptures. But we have even more than David had. David had the first five books of the Old Testament. He had a few chapters in the Psalms and maybe, maybe a couple of other chapters, but not many. And so we have even more revelation today of God than David had in his word. But yet, he says, referring to the written revelation of God found in the scriptures, that his word is perfect. God's word gives life to us all. It is never wrong. It's not wrong in life. It's not wrong in the field of science. His word is true in the field of history, in our understanding of nature, and in our understanding of the divine. God's word is perfect. And it is effective. In fact, God's word is so effective that it says that his word converts our soul. I don't know about anybody else in here, but that was quite a work for me. For my soul to be converted, for me to be changed into the image of what this word says, that was, that was quite an undertaking. But it is nothing for God's word because it is so effective. The power, because there is power in hearing the word of God, there's power in reading the word of God, and there is power in speaking and living the word of God as well. His word causes our souls to be revived. It brings new life. His word is pure according to the scriptures. Psalms 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. If you have any question on whether God is real, look to creation. If you have any question on whether God is real, 
look to his word because the Bible says that his word is settled in heaven. That means his word is the bottom line. It is, tr it is true, it is pure, and it is right. Verse 8 of Psalms 19 says, The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word and his commandments are right. They are right practically. They are right morally. And they are right universally. God's word not only applies to me, but it applies to you. And it applies to everyone else. And they are right because they are the written revelation of God himself. And he is holy and he is true, and he is righteous. The person that knows the word of God knows true joy and pleasure that can only be found in God and his word and can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And because his word comes from himself, it can only be pure and holy and right because God cannot communicate in any other way. In fact, the Bible tells us that we never have to worry about God leading us astray. We never have to worry about God causing us to be misguided or confused. We never have to worry about God leading us into temptation through his word. We never have to worry about God leading us into sin. Verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. David calls the word of God here the fear of the Lord. And he tells us that his word is clean. It will never fade. It will never become corrupted or corroded. It will never become impure. Not only is it clean, but it makes those who abide, who walk in it clean as well. And his word is eternal. As for the judgments of God, David sees it clear enough here to say that they are true and righteous altogether. I know sometimes we don't like that word judgment, but the judgments of God and His Word are true and righteous. And so I think that David assumes here that if we would be wise enough to read His Word, then we would be wise enough to study it. And if we know to read it and to study it, then we would meditate on it. And I know that David believes that if we would meditate on God, God's Word long enough, that we would become to love it. We would become... We would come to internalize it, and then we would begin to live his word. Because God's revelation to man is more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than silver. It's more valuable than Bitcoin. It's more valuable than anything that we could find on this planet today. And this is David speaking, and he was a very rich, very wealthy man, had anything and everything that he could want. But David says that God's word is more important and more valuable than gold. God's word is not only more important to David than worldly possessions, but it's also more important than worldly pleasures. God's word is greater than anything that can be experienced by our senses, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. There's a really good restaurant here in Frisco that uh, puts out some honey and it has a honeycomb in it. Uh, which, in fact, I don't know if you know, but North Texans eat out more than any area in the United States. In fact, people in the DFW area eat out more times a week and spend more money eating out than any place in Texas and almost any place in the United States. So 
there's got to be some good restaurants here, right? I know there's some good cooks in here as well, but, you know, you can go to, like, fine dining establishments here in North Texas, and you can, you can go to gas stations, like hole-in-the-wall places, and find some of the best food that you could imagine, right? Am I right? I'm right. I know I am. Don't worry about it. There's good food, but the Bible tells us that God's Word is more valuable to us than gold and good food. Verse 11 says this, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. God's word brings instruction and warning at the same time, that wealth and pleasures of this world do not provide. The Bible tells us that there are warnings for sins that we are susceptible to. God created us in our mother's womb, and he knows us better than anyone. But we also have an adversary, an enemy of our souls that knows just how and when to tempt us. But God's word brings instruction and warning. Warning for sins that we each are susceptible to. Warning for dangers that we cannot see. I have a 12-year-old son, and if you've ever been around 12-year-olds, preteens, adolescents, boys in general, even up probably to the age of they're like 25 or 30, guys don't think very much before they do things. But the Bible brings warning for dangers that we cannot see. Warning for dangers that we cannot appreciate. There's many times I've been warned by something and like, that's okay, I, mean, I think I can handle it. And then I get into a situation and all of a sudden I realize that I am way in over my head. And you talk about like begging God, like please God get me out of this situation. I guess that's just me, the only person that's happened to. But we do have warnings for dangers that we cannot appreciate. And warnings for dangers that will come in the future if we do not walk and live according to to God's word. But along with those warnings, we also see that God's word provides benefits that are far greater than anything that we could find in this earth. As David reflected on the benefits of living in God's word, he also asked, Who can understand his errors? I know we have, just as David did, ignored the word of God at times in our lives, even gone so far as to disobey his word. And I think we've done it even more than we actually realize. You see, what we know that we have done against God should concern us enough. Like the sins that we know that we've committed should be concerning enough. But there are also things that we don't even realize that we've done. Things that God has spoken to us, said this is what you should do, and then we kind of like blow it off. Like, oh, that's not really God speaking. And sins that we've committed that we don't even realize that we're committing, but according to God's word that we are accountable for not only the sins that we have committed, but for the things that we have not done and the things that we don't even realize that we messed up on. We are accountable for all of those things. But one thing that the Bible does say above all of that is that we can trust in his atonement provided through the life and death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that cleans us from all error and all faults. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's God's prerogative to cleanse our hearts and our thoughts through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but only if we invite him to do so. 
God wants to cleanse our lives. God wants to change our lives, but we have to invite Him to do that. David points out here that sin has a progression. We don't just wake up one day like living a life full of sin. No drug addict would tell you, oh yeah, just like, just like that, woke up one day and was a drug addict or an alcoholic. Someone that is wrapped in sin and addiction doesn't just wake up that way one day. You see, sin moves from a passing temptation. The enemy tempts us with this one thing, this passing temptation, and we blow it off. But then that temptation turns into a chosen thought, which means we begin to think about that temptation. And it moves from a thought to a meditation, and then from something that we dwell on and think about, and then it turns into an action. And then sin goes from an action to a repeated action. That repeated action turns into a delight. That's what David is talking about here with presumptuous sins. And from a delight, something that we actually begin to enjoy, it turns into a habit. And then that habit of sin turns into idolatry because that sin becomes the most important thing in our lives. And then from idolatry to sacrifice. I think we look at the Israelite people and we, like, we think like, man, how, how ridiculous are they becoming sins to slave and then they are sacrificing things to idols including their children. Idolatry turns to sacrifice when we begin to sacrifice the things in our life that God has given us in order to participate in that sin. And then sacrifice leads to slavery where we are bound to sin. I know that sounds pretty serious, but it is. We've all found ourselves in situations where we have been bound to sin, where we have become a slave to sin, but the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that no temptation has overtaken you. You remember temptations at the very beginning. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to abide. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The Bible isn't saying here that we're not going to face things that we can't handle. What the Bible is saying is that when sin tempts you, when the enemy tempts you, God has provided a way of escape, and it is his word. Temptation becomes too hard to bear. Sin becomes too hard to bear. That scripture is trying to tell us that even before we begin to sin, God has provided a way out. God's word is the way of escape. It is the way of prevention. It is the way of atonement. And it is the way of victory in our lives. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law of sin and death, but you are under grace that is found in the word of God. Psalms 19 goes on to say, Then shall I be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression." David was not claiming to be sinless or perfect. In fact, David knew that he needed to be cleansed. He needed to be made pure. David understood that, and we should too. This can only, be ha only happen because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In him is the only way that we or David could be found blameless. I know you've heard pastors say it. 
Verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That's important. In Hosea 14, 2, it says, Take words with you. Return to the Lord. Go to the Lord and offer. Say to him, Take away all iniquity. iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer sacrifices of our lips. David here is offering his life. He's offering his words as a sacrifice of praise to God. Do we do the same thing? Do the words that come out of our mouth, are they a sacrifice of praise to God? I wish I could say that every word that came out of my mouth was a sacrifice of praise to God, but we have the opportunity today to allow God to change our hearts to change our minds, to change our words and our lips, because we know, even more than David did, who our Redeemer is. That God sent His Son to rescue us and redeem all of humanity. You see, I don't know if we realize it or not, but this one chapter in the Bible takes us through God's redemptive story. We see the general revelation of God and His creation. And His creation is wonderful. Don't be fooled by anything that you see on the news and they try and say that chaos is all around us and God's creation is falling apart. God's creation is wonderful. You can see it all around. But David is better than to just leave us here in this scripture at the general revelation of God. Because David goes even farther to point out the goodness of God found in the specific written revelation of God. And what God's word can do in our lives, it can redeem us, it can change us, it can make us new. But David goes on, and and if we read it fast enough, we kind of miss it. But David is speaking of his Redeemer. Not only is he speaking of God, he's speaking of Jesus Christ who was to come, who we know came, lived, and died, and is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. David's David's Psalms runs its course, laying out the specific revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he takes us from general revelation to specific revelation, to specific revelation of God in Jesus. The plan of redemption for all mankind. And so David here is praising his Redeemer. He's praising Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh, who is the specific revelation of God in man. And so this is what His Son shows us. John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. This Him is Jesus. Without him nothing was made that is made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do we really comprehend what God is trying to tell us today? 
Do we comprehend what God is trying to speak into each and every single one of our hearts today? He's trying to show us that from the very beginning of creation, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. God's Word has been revealed to each and every single one of us. God's Word has been revealed to all of creation. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to man, and He is right, and He is true, and He is holy. And His Spirit is here today with us. Can we say with everything in us that our hearts and our words, our deeds, our actions, our thoughts reflect the revelation of God that we see in His creation, that we see in His Word, that we see in His Son? Do our lives reflect the revelation of the glory of God? Because God and His words are perfect and they are Holy, for the Word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word and the revelation of God in Jesus can show you instantly what is in your heart that does not need to be. It can show you instantly what is of Him and what is not. I don't think it's any accident today that we are reading Psalms 19. You see, because it really couldn't have come at a better time. This Monday begins Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And it brings about a 10-day period of time, which is called the Days of Awe. And in it, Jewish people all over the world and believers today Prepare their hearts for the Day of Atonement. So let me ask you this. If, if, if you knew that on September 15th and 16th that you were going to be judged for everything that you did wrong, not only in this past year, but in your entire life, would it change the way that you acted over the next 10 days? If you knew that God was going to hold you accountable on se September 15th, would you change the way that you prayed? Would you change the way that you repent? Would you change the way that you speak? Would you change the way that you respond to God? Would you change the way that you respond and react with other people in your life? You see, the Jewish people believe that over these next 10 days, they have an opportunity to spend reflecting on their hearts and repenting to God. And not only do they have time over the next 10 days to reflect and repent to God, but they have time to reflect and fix any relationships that are wronged, any relationships in their life that have not been made right. They have the opportunity to go and ask forgiveness, to confirm not only their relationship with God, but to restore and confirm their relationship with each other. The enemy today has done a good job at separating each and every single one of us from those in our lives that we love, from the people in the lives that we know. And he seems to have brought us closer together with the people that we don't disagree with. But I think God wants to flip that. 
God wants to bring us into relationship again, restore the relationships in our lives, and heal the broken relationships. That person that you may need to restore your relationship with might not be here today, but you can call them, you can text them. If you need to restore a relationship with someone that isn't here anymore, we can simply pray and ask God to forgive us of the things that we've done wrong. Because ultimately, that's what we're responsible for. We are responsible for our actions and our repentance. So as you'll please stand with me today. I would ask you to take the next few moments. We're going to have an opportunity to, to praise the Lord again through Psalm. And we're going to have an opportunity to pray together. But I would encourage you to spend the next few moments without distraction to seek God. And restore your relationship with Him, whatever it may be that's causing a division in your relationship with Him. And ask God if there's anything that you need to repent of. But also ask Him if there is anyone that you need to be restored with. Is there a relationship that needs to be made right in your life today? God, I pray that you would speak to us today, Lord. Your servants are listening. I'm Morgan. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us online at fcfrisco.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are located in Frisco, Texas. We have services on Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us for our Wednesday experience at 6.30 p.m. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode.